You know, last Sunday, and a lot of you were here last Sunday, which I'm grateful for. Some of you are new today, but we started a series um, called Grow Up. It's time to grow up. And it's not a hard word. It's not a rebuke. It's just an encouragement. How many of you have had people in your life that loved you enough? That's, a, that's an important part. Can I just say this? People don't receive from people that if they don't know that they're loved. Have you all found that to be true? We don't need professional critics in the body of Christ. I need to say that again. We, nobody needs to be a professional critic in the body of Christ. What we need is more lovers. Because here's the deal. It's like if you don't know I love you, I could preach the greatest sermon in the world, but you, you don't, you're not going to listen and you don't care. But if you, if you know that I love you, I can say something that might at first cause you to be uncomfortable, but you'll go, you know what, Pastor Ron loves me. He's not trying to hurt me. Is, is that true? So, so that was the spirit of last week. And I don't know about you, but if you have people in your life who you know are crazy about you, and they love you enough to say, hey, maybe, I'm just asking you, why are you doing that? Or why did you act that way? Or, you know, whatever it is. They're willing to jerk your chain a little bit nicely. You should be thankful for those people. Anybody, anybody agree with that? I hope you have those people in your life. I've had mentors in my life that had the unique ability to sit down with me and share some things with me that made me feel good, like I wasn't a total failure, and I felt good, and then they shared some things that I maybe needed to work on a little bit, and then they ended with some more truth about how much they loved me and how much they were for me, and you know what? Every single time I left their presence going, man, I can do this. I'm going to take my game to the next level. I mean, we need those kind of people encouraging us. So I hope to be one of those voices in your life. I hope, and I know this, I'm not hoping, I know this is a reality. This church is full of those kind of voices. Some of you have been the recipients of those kind of voices this last year, and you know that your spiritual mamas or your spiritual papas in your life that have challenged you or said, hey, what are you doing? Or, hey, you need to go see that person and repent. Let's not live in unforgiveness or whatever it is. They did that because they cared about you, and to the degree that you listened to them, you just got catapulted to another level. The problem is with most churches is people get offended by the very truth that was meant to set them free. And I'm just going to set you all up. If you got offended last week or if you're going to get offended today, guess what it's proving? That you got room to mature. <laughs> I set you guys up. You can't, if you leave here offended, you're, all I can say is told you so. <laughs> told you so. Because, listen, offense in the body of Christ is ugly. It's anywhere it's ugly. And uh, when people walk around being offended and have relational baggage and all this kind of stuff, unforgiveness, it's, it's not a sign of your spiritual maturity. It's a sign of your spiritual immaturity. And we've all been there, have we not? We've all been there, so we can all confess that we're not perfect. In fact, remember last week, what spiritual maturity is not. The Apostle Paul said this, spiritual maturity is not being perfect. When Paul wrote to the, to the Philippians, he had been a Christian for 25 years. And what, what did he say? I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect yet. Isn't that what he said last week? So spiritual maturity is not moral perfection, which this is encouraging to me because here's the deal. What it tells me is, I'll just personalize it. I, as your pastor, am going to be growing to be more like Jesus until I die. I will never arrive. So here's what you have to do. You have to knock me off whatever pedestal anybody tries to put me on and realize Pastor Ron is not glowing in the dark, walking on water perfect. He is a fallen human being, 
but he should be more spiritually mature than most or else he shouldn't be pastor. Is that true too? So the point is though, you have to be patient with me. But here's the other thing. All y'all are in process. So don't look at the person next to you when they had a bad day or they had, you know, something tragic happened and they didn't act, you know, like a saint. Uh, and you're like, well, I thought, well, I can't tell you how many people get offended in local churches and leave because the person next to them wasn't Jesus. You're not going to find Jesus at church. Well, you will, but not sitting next to you. Now, spiritually speaking, you will, because Christ is in the person next to you. I get it. We're united with Christ. But there, there's no Jesus incarnates at this church to the fullness of Jesus, all right? We're just little mini imitations, all right? And we're, and we're imperfect imitations. So here's the point. We have to learn to be patient with each other. Ugh. Isn't that a nasty word? Patience. Patience. There's not a person in this room that's patient by nature. And so another thing that I, I'm just going to give you some spiritual counsel here. Don't ever pray for patience. <laughs> you will enter one of the most frustrating seasons of your life. And guess what? You'll learn patience. Just let the Lord teach you in bite-sized portions along the way, okay? Don't ask for like a major course on it. Just trust me on that one. So spiritual maturity isn't perfection. How about this one? Spiritual maturity is not accidental, we said. Which means, you know, you don't just go to bed one night and you wake up and you're like, I am a spiritual giant. How did that happen? I love everybody like Jesus. I, I heal the sick. I raise the dead. How did this happen? I'm a spiritual giant overnight. Uh, has that ever happened to anybody? Okay, good, because you'd be a liar. That doesn't happen. Spiritual maturity is not accidental. Let me tell you what else it is. It's not natural. In fact, I'll just tell you this. Everything that's like Jesus will go against what you think you should do or how you think you should do it. Or how about this? Initially, what you want to do. You should, you should ask yourself this question. Well, well I don't want to do that. Therefore, that's probably what I need to do. Have any of you awakened on a Sunday morning after a rough week? You're tired? Sherry, don't look at me like that. All right. You're tired, you're overwhelmed, and the alarm goes off, and you're like, I am supposed to be getting up and going to worship my God on this morning. And you go, ah, I don't really want to do that. Well, what's talking right there? Your flesh. Because your flesh likes to be comforted, likes to be warm, likes to be cozy. And then your fallen mind kicks in and you start saying things like, well, I need to take care of myself. And, you know, uh, maybe I'll go next Sunday or I'll just spend extra time today with me and Jesus in the Bible. And your mind, just, it's, it's a carnal mind, but it just makes up all kinds of excuses for why you're going to do what you're going to do anyway because your flesh wants to do it. You know, I don't know what I'm talking about, right? Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. This is us. And then you, you, put, you go, no, 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 no. I'm going to be committed. You pull yourself out. You show up. And how many of you invariably God has spoken something that you needed to hear while your flesh was telling you just the opposite? Don't you dare listen to the voices in your head. You need to be providing the content for the voices in your head. You need to be preaching to yourself. 
not listening to yourself, because if you listen to yourself, you'll do the wrong thing every time. You know, we're living in such a lame culture. People say, just listen to your heart. Your heart will never lead you astray. You're a moron. What are you talking about? Your heart will always lead you astray. Don't just be true. Just be true. You don't even know what truth is if you're not reading the word and aligning yourself with Jesus, the standard of truth. I get so tired of all this stupid counsel we give people. Don't listen to yourself. You know why? Because it's not natural for you to be like Jesus. It's unnatural and it's supernatural. How many of you know you need Jesus to be like Jesus? Last thing I said, and this is probably the most irritating of all, is it's, spiritual maturity is not optional. It's not like an elective you take for super spiritual goody-two-shoe overachiever Christians. It's for normal folks. Everybody that's been born again has been called to grow up into Christ. And how many of you know the Lord is committed to that process? God will fix the fix that he needs the fix to fix you, if you know what I'm talking about. Because he's committed to spiritual growth. And so here's my, here's my challenge to all of us. Can we just embrace it? And can we just press into it and go after this and make a choice this year to grow up? Grow up is not a bad thing. It's a really good thing, right? Grow up. We're going we're gonna to take our game to the next level. Every one of us this year should be able to say, you know what, before that used to push my button. But my button just got uh, unwired. I'm not acting that way anymore. You know, that person used to just irritate me. Well, you know what? It's not that person that's got the problem. It's your problem. Why don't you let that person not irritate you because you, re- you elevated the game. In other words, you're not listening to your old selfish self. You're choosing to do what God says. Is this making sense to anybody? Oh, I, you know, I'm, that person, they deserve for me to treat them this way. No, they don't. Why don't you love them like Jesus loved them? That person not coming over to my house. Oh, really? You're supposed to love sinners. But you treat the body of Christ worse than sinners. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody this morning. That's called elevating our game. I'm not going to be ruled by my emotions. I'm not, no matter what it feels like, no matter what it looks like, God is still moving. That's my declaration. So I'm going to be patient with you. You can be patient with me. You can be patient with your neighbor. But I'm going to give you a principle today in Philippians 3. So turn there, and I encourage you to get out the hard copy, like the real Bible. Get your fingers in it. Get your sleeves rolled up so you know how to find and track and read and interact with the Scripture. That's so important. That's another area of growth for believers. Philippians chapter 3. Paul lays out an important principle here that I want to hit on today. He says, I don't mean to say I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. In other words, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not perfect. That's Paul speaking. But I press on to profess, possess rather, that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. We're going to get into that. That's kind of a, that's an interesting phrase. He's been possessed and now he in return is possessing that which first possessed him. Um, We'll talk about that. But this is what he says. Dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it but I focus, everybody say focus, I focus on this one thing. I love the Passion Translation. It says, I do have one compelling focus. Amplified Version says, this one thing I'm doing. So how many of you know this whole idea of a one thing, a a pulling things into focus is huge if you're going to mature in Christ? In other words, Let me just tell you, Americans are, as you all know, this is not revelation to anybody, we are some of the most busy people on the planet, which all kind of agree. 
we're busy. We've got a lot going on. Can I, have you ever thought, like, why do you have a lot going on? I'll tell you why. There's two reasons. Number one is because we are one of the most affluent nations in the history of nations, all right? We are a blessed nation. I should get a better response from that. We are an incredibly blessed nation. And can I tell you what else? Blessings do you no good if you don't have freedom. So we are a free nation. Can I just say one other thing? We're the most free and most blessed nation in the world. You won't hear that on the mainstream media, but it's the truth. We're living in an exceptional nation. You're blessed and you're free, which means, thirdly, you're busy. There's lots of places in the earth where Christians are not busy because they don't have financial blessing and they don't have freedom. They're under totalitarian governments. They're being persecuted. They don't have blessing. They don't have freedom. They have the blessing of the Lord, but they don't have financial blessing, material blessing because of their scenario that they're raised in. But how many of you have found that the blessing of God that creates busyness also works against the very God of the blessing? Let me read you something that I thought was pretty powerful about the curse of distraction and the curse of busyness. This is from a book uh, called Margin, Restoring Emotional, Physical, Financial, and Time Reserves to Our Overloaded Lives by a guy named Richard Swenson. Listen to what he says. The conditions of modern-day living devour margin. If you're homeless, we send you to a shelter. If you're penniless, we offer you food stamps. If you're breathless, we connect you to oxygen. But if you're marginless... No space, no room in your life, no downtime. We give you yet one more thing to do. Marginless is being 30 minutes late to the doctor's office because you were 20 minutes late to getting out of the bank, because you were 10 minutes late dropping the kids off at school, because the car ran out of gas two blocks from the gas station, and you forgot your wallet. How many of you can relate to that scenario? Sometimes we're so busy, go, 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 that the very thing that we're supposed to focus on, which is really connecting and growing with Jesus, we don't have any time for. And sometimes we're doing good things, but we're not doing the best thing. I mean, you know, it's not like we're all robbing banks and hurting people or whatever. We're usually doing pretty good stuff. You know, some of you were raised in a church culture where anything that remotely looked like it could be fun had to be of the devil. Can I just dispel that myth? God created all these things for us to enjoy. The problem comes when we're so consumed enjoying the things God created for us to enjoy that we have no time to enjoy the God who created those things. And somehow we miss out on the focal point of why we're even here in the first place. Maybe you can relate. We get so busy, we get this fog going around us. We forget who we are. We forget why we're here. We get distracted. We lose clarity. And here, here's the tragedy. I want you to hear this with me. If you spend your life aimlessly, in other words, there's no target, you will never grow up. You'll never reach the person God intended for you to become, and you'll never accomplish the things God intended for you to do because you're lost in the fog of distraction and busyness. Now, is any, first of all, is anybody, am I hitting the nail on the head at all this morning? Is anybody struggling? Can I just say this? I've, t- I've talked to men in, in discipleship settings about this very thing. Sometimes in our homes, we get so busy paying bills, going to work, and raising our kids that the intimacy, the one-on-one, the fun that we had, just the two of us, that time gets lost in the fog. How I many of you know it's good to love your kids? It's good to pay your bills. But you wouldn't have kids and bills, at least not to the degree that you have 
bills if you didn't first have a spouse that you enjoy being with. And so we have to make time, we have to make margin to spend time that's not, okay, we have, we have 30 minutes to go out for a cup of coffee. Let's go, hey. No, 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 that's not margin. That's a to-do list. You need downtime, undistracted time, or your relationship gets messed up. How many of you know it's the same thing with God? It's the same thing in your relationship with Jesus. You've got to have a target. Look what Paul said in Philippians 3.12. He said, I press on. Here's that crazy language again. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. So he was possessed, and now he is possessing, all right? Look at what the Living Bible says. I keep working toward that day when I will finally be all that Christ saved me for and wants me to be. Can we just pause right there? This is a great verse to ask yourself two questions. Look at the first part there. What has Christ saved me for? That deals with your calling. Like, why are you saved? Why are you here? Why do you know God and other people don't? Why are you saved right now? Isn't that a great question? And then look at the second question. What he wants for me to be. This deals with your character. Like, who am I supposed to be as a person? How am I supposed to grow to be like Jesus? What does that expression look like? Notice it says, Paul says, I keep working toward. Who's working? Paul's working. He's working with the Holy Spirit, but Paul is working. Paul is the one possessing. Paul is the one going after this thing. Look at the last translation here. I like the way it says this. English Standard Version. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This is so good. So in other words, I'm pressing into something and someone because I have first been possessed by him. This word in the Greek, this is going to be awesome. This word in the Greek, it's, some translation says lay hold, possess, whatever. It means that you're intensely running after something, pursuing something until you finally grab it and possess it. And here's the illustration. It's used of a police officer. How I many you know a police officer pursuing a criminal? You've all seen the, you know, the, the TV programs and uh, where they're running through the alleys, the bad guy's jumping over the fence, the police officer jumps over the fence, chase, 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 finally lunges forward, captures the, the criminal, takes him to the ground, and lays hands on him, all right? Apprehends him, possesses him, takes possession, puts the cuffs on. Now, now I, you guys got to see this. That's what Jesus did for you. He chased you down. Now, some people say, you know, I was seeking God, and I found the Lord. No, you didn't. Criminals don't go looking for police officers. Matt, do you ever have, you're chasing down the bad guy. Actually, you're out, you're out minding your own business, on patrol. Bad guy chases you down, knocks on your window. I've done bad things. Please arrest me. But I've always wanted to do what you're doing. I've had a vision to be who you are. Can you please mentor me after, after you put these cuffs on? S- said no bad guy ever. All right? No, you're not. You know, poli- people are not looking for Jesus the way criminals are looking for police officers. It's just it doesn't work that way. You're running from God. You wanted nothing to do with God. God chased you down. Did the lunge, caught you, brought you to the ground, not to harm you, but to bless you. I mean, the purpose of law enforcement is to keep you from totally screwing up your life. 
That's really what they're out there for, and to protect us from you screwing up our lives. But it, it has a twofold effect. What's the purpose of going to jail? Hopefully not to camp out there forever. It's you learn this is not a good place to be. And you learn I can't keep acting this way. And I'm giving a spiritual maturity illustration here. What is the purpose of coming to church? It's so that you keep maturing in Christ's likeness so you're not going around the same mountain over and over again. Because who wants to be miserable all of their days on planet Earth? I mean, I'm trying to help you here. Why did Jesus track you down to save you from hell, to pour his mercy out on you, to transform you, to give you a good heart, not an evil heart? But he laid hold of you. Now, if somebody saved your life, what would you do? I hope you would say thank you. I hope you would have some gratitude in your heart. I hope you would respond back. Let me give another illustration. Let's move out of the criminal illustration into the marriage illustration. (laughs) Track with me, people. Sometimes I have young men who are in love. They come up to me and they say, Pastor, God told me I'm going to marry that woman. First thing I tell them is, there should be confirmation in the woman. I just know she's the one. So what do we do as men? I'm helping you ladies out because this is going to help the ladies out too. When I first saw, caught eyes with my wife, I'm like, hmm. I'm going to pursue that for the goal of possessing that. And so what do guys start doing? We're very insecure, ladies. Don't crush us. We start sending signals. Like, a smile is a good place to start. Like you don't want to frown at her, scowl at her, make it look like you don't like her. No, so I would smile at her. Then I would strategically work my way to where she was. So it would be like, oh, <laughs> we meet again. <laughs> and at that point, guys, what are we looking for? Signals. We're information processors. (laughs) Our brains never work so hard and so fast that when we're trying to discern if there's any signs of life in this female towards me. (laughs) I'm reading, I'm reading. The slightest frown, the slightest scowl, the slightest... Wait a minute, I need to pause and think about my response. Just is crushing to us. We're waiting to see if it's going to go anywhere. And then is this not the case? Ladies... If it's reciprocal, then you don't act in a cold manner. You don't be rude. You don't, I mean, like you, you smile back. And there's this thing that goes on. Like, I know what a smile is. Like, I'm smiling, and, and she smiles back. I'm like, yeah, because it wasn't just a courtesy smile. It was a, her eyes lit up. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Their eyes light up. I don't know how to explain it. They, God made them this way. It's amazing. And I look at her, and she looks at me, and all of a sudden, sparks start going off. There's something alive here. And then my goal at that point is to pursue it. But her, her point at that is to respond. Now, this is amazing. I mean, you know, when Jesus chased us down and pursued us and saved us and lavished his mercy on us and wiped our slate clean and, and removed the guilt and the shame, he's looking at his bride like, what is he doing this morning? There's a real God. He's alive. There's a real Jesus. He's at the Father's right hand. We came here to church. What is he looking for on Sunday morning? Let me help you. 
He's looking for hearts that are alive and eyes that are full of wonder and love and are responding back. That's called spiritual maturity. It's called moving forward. It's called not quitting. It's called we're going to take this relationship to the next level. Does this make sense? It requires, listen, you didn't, you didn't do anything to get into the relationship, but you have to do a lot to develop the relationship. You have to respond. Don't ever question whether or not God's pursuing you. He proved that. The question is, are you pursuing back? That's spiritual maturity. Is this making sense to anybody? So notice, we've been laid hold of, and now that he has apprehended me, I'm hugging back. That's called worship. That's called getting to know him. I mean, you know, we get to spend eternity getting to know the amazing glory of God. That's how deep God is. God's not shallow. Like, oh, well, yeah, we went out once, and uh, I was kind of bored. You know, he's really not that deep. No, trust me, God's like deep. We're going to spend eternity getting to know how awesome he is. That's how long it's going to take, forever. How would you like to be united in relationship with a God, with a being like that? This, and the wonder begins now, all right? Begins now. We are called to enjoy God, but we got to have a target. And let me just tell you who that target is. Look at what Paul says here, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, a little bit earlier in the chapter. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. So Jesus did something in Paul's life that was so earth-shaking, so transformational, that what he once thought was valuable, he now considers worthless. That, that is the power of Jesus in a person's life. How many of you know if Jesus is not transforming you, you got the wrong Jesus? Christ cannot come into your life and not leave a mark, a good mark, a transformational mark. But look at what he says next. Everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Notice what he says again, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I underline and circle those three phrases in my Bible. What is the target? It's Jesus. It's knowing Jesus. It's gaining Jesus. It's becoming one with Jesus. He says it in three different ways. It's the same, it's the same thing he's talking about. It's talking about pursuing an intimate relationship with Jesus. He's the target of my spiritual growth and development. That's what I'm after. Now, I labored with you all. Did I not, when I preached a series on gifting and all those kind of things, what I was trying to drive home was that there's no other person like you on planet Earth or ever in the history of Earth has ever been a person exactly like you. That's the truth. Your gift mix, your DNA, your personality, the way God's wired you, you are absolutely a masterpiece. Now, that's really cool, is it not? And it's the truth. It's not just, yay, let me feel good about myself. No, that's biblical solid theological foundation for why you're absolutely unique and why you're needed and why you're valued and why you're celebrated by God. But let me just share something this morning. If we started with each one of us and we started peeling away the various gifts, peeling away our personalities, peeling away all the things that make us us, and we got down to the core, all right? Like what would be the one thing that all of us as Christians would have in common? What, what is the same, the same thing that unites us all together and would become the target? 
Can I suggest to you that if you, you know, in th- this time of year, people do a lot of things, right? We're planning goals. We're planning financial goals. We're planning physical goals. We're, we're planning uh, spiritual goals. We're planning relational goals. And how many of you know successful people make goals? That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. But here's what I want to do. Let, let's, okay, I'm going to put it this way. How many of you have some physical goals for this? You want to lose some weight. You want to join the health club. You want to get in better shape. You know, n- most people do. Anybody like, you know, raise your hand a little bit, all right? All right. So, so here's the deal. How many of you know that's a good goal? Take care of your temple, but it's not an ultimate goal. Because let me just say, let me put it this way. If you knew you were going to stand before God someday, how important would that goal be? Not that important. Let's say you want to be successful in your career. In fact, you have a goal to dominate the market share, all right? You're, 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 going, to, you're going to take your company to a whole new level, all right? Is that a bad goal? Not if you do it ethically and love people in the process, et cetera. But let me just ask you, in light of eternity, I was the best, whatever. I built the biggest, whatever. All right. How many of you know playing sports has value? Helps you keep you in shape, builds some character, helps you press through, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I played sports. A lot of you played sports. But let me just ask you this question. In light of eternity, how important is basketball? <laughs> Kind of lacks a little bit, doesn't it? My, my point is, we, let's just strip it all away. Everything. All that we do. All that we spend our time doing. Strip it all away. What is the one thing that remains when everything is stripped away? Jesus. And let me personalize it. And your relationship with him. I mean, I just brought clarity out of the fog. Because there are a million distractions, and they're not even bad. Like I said, they're not even sinful. But I can't tell you how many times if, I, if I'm challenging men, hey, are you spending time with God to start your day? Pastor, I start, I start work so early you cannot even believe it. Let, okay, in light of eternity, though, how important is getting up earlier to make time to be with the Lord? Okay, how about this one? Pastor, I can't help it. You're only going to see me one Sunday out of four because of my work schedule. Let me give you some pastoral advice. Get a new job. In fact, I'll tell you this. If you aligned your passions with Jesus and pursuing him, and you said, Lord, this job is cramping my style. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring it down where we can understand it. Marion gets a job. She's working 80 hours a week. I say, hon, let's go out on a date. I can't. I got an early morning meeting at work. I got a project I got to get done. You know what I would say? I didn't marry you for your paycheck. I married you because I'm crazy about you. And you know that job? It's cramping my schedule because my priority is you. Not the job. Now, I'm not saying y'all turn in your pink slips this week and we got to raise our benevolence fund because everybody's broke and out of a job and all your bills are piling up. But, but y'all say, because here, here's the deal. I don't exist here for a job. You know what's the most important things in my life next to Jesus? It's that lady right over there. It's the kids God's blessed us with. It's my family and you know what else? It's my church family. I am not here for anything else that's going to matter. 
Am I speaking the truth here? And so if I would rather eat ramen noodles and be with her than never be with her and have all kinds of money. Because I don't care about having money if I can't be with her. Now let me just say this. Any of you that are single, you need to hear what I just said. Because when you get married, you spend the rest of your life with somebody, and that's somebody supposed to be the most important somebody you ever, you've ever made covenant with next to Jesus. So choose wisely. And choose somebody that has a passion for you. This, this, uh, this is not in the notes, but it's good stuff. When I saw how much my mother loved my father, I thought, man, I am doomed. I am never going to be able to find a woman who loves me the way my mom loves my dad. God said, oh, yeah? And what did he do? He gave me the desire of my heart. Well, I put my trust and confidence in him, and I loved him and put him first. He gave me the desires of my heart. We've got to get rid of the distractions, and we've got to get rid of the things that don't matter. And we've got to focus on the things that do matter. It's really simple, but it's really hard. I've got to tell one more story. Maybe one more story. So this is my first close. I'm doing great. I am doing great. First close, 25 after, I'm doing great. How many of you know my wonderful brother-in-law, Dr. Brent? All right? I honor him, he and my sister, amazing people. It's her birthday today, by the way. Just give her a big hug when you find track him down. All right, but here's the deal. Anybody that knows Brent knows this about him. He will squeeze every drop of his life's lemon, all right? Every drop of that lemon will be squeezed because he just loves, he loves it all. All right, don't ask him to make a choice. He's like ADD. They don't make choices. They, they, they want to do it all. The four of us, Brent, my sister Beth, Marion, and I, we went out to that Mongolian uh, grill. Anybody go to the Mongolian barbecue grill thing in Chicago? Big deal for us, all right? Now, if you've ever been to the Mongolian barbecue grill thing, they have seasoning that you mix on your stuff. Do you know how hard it is for a person who wants to try everything to choose like, you're supposed to put one flavor, not like 97 flavors. Oh, no, Brent's like, mm. I'm not kidding. We all eat together, and we decide on the way home we're going to stop over in St. John at the Dairy Queen and get a little dessert to cap off our Mongolian barbecue bowl or whatever. All right. He's got 97 spices having a party. And <laughs> In his gastrointestinal zone, all right? He's like, oh, man, I don't feel good. Oh, man, I don't stay. Oh, man, sweat rolling down his face. This is a true story. We are pulling up to the drive-in at McDonald's, or at Dairy Queen. I hear the sliding door of the van open. I look in the back. I'm getting ready to order our milkshakes. Dr. Brent is on his belly, face down his head hanging over the edge of the van. It is raining cats and dogs, and he is barfing up his Mongolian. And I'm like, uh, can I have a uh, caramel? I mean, I'm not kidding. This is the truth. Can I have a Georgia mud pie mini blizzard? And they're like, can you come again, sir? I'm not sure if I heard that. I'm just trying to help you guys out. That's not the way to live. <laughs> you can enjoy life but when you're eating 97 tastes of the world and you got no time for a blizzard 
because you're blowing out noodles out your nose out the side of the van. You got a problem. Like, we were fine. We were fine. But listen, sometimes, <laughs> that, that, that was the total truth, was it not? Literally, the lady said, can you repeat that? I didn't quite hear it. <laughs> Some of us are that way with our walk with God. We're bent over in the church van, blowing noodles out our nose. We're missing out on the amazing blizzard for dessert because we got no margin in our lives and we aren't prioritizing what matters. And I'm telling you, the only thing that matters in your life and my life at the end of the day is Jesus. And the question is this, what are you doing to fall in love with him? What are you doing to keep your heart soft and tender What are you doing to grow in your knowledge of God? What are you doing to grow in the grace of God? Because check this out. What if I said to my wife, hey, hon, I don't really want to have a relationship with our eight kids. I'm going to have a relationship through them. You're a better parent than I am anyway. You just relate to the kids, and then we'll get together, and you tell me how everybody's going. Let me tell you, let me translate that. First of all, that would be insane. Let me tell you how that works at church. You know, Pastor, I've never been one of those Bible reader guys, but, you know, you do it for me, and you tell me what the big guy thinks. You know, I've never been much for prayer, Pastor, but you, you pray and, and, and get the intercessors praying. Can I just tell you this? There's nobody that's a born prayer warrior. You learn how to pray. You know how you learn how to pray? By praying. You know how you learn how to study the Bible? By studying the Bible. You know what you do? You press in to know this amazing Savior who pressed in to lay hold of you. And you respond back because he's sending signals. Are you alive? Are you there? Do you love me? Do you care about my vision for your life? Do you care about knowing me? Do you care about enjoying me? Hello, anybody home? He's looking for signs of life. Now, obviously, he's not looking because he doesn't know. He knows but he's looking for you. Here's the cool thing. I, I'm here to be your cheerleader. I'm here to feed you. I'm here to love on you. But at the end of the day, I'm a terrible surrogate for your relationship with God. God will not settle for you to have anybody going between as your priest, no matter what background you come from. There, there are no, we're a kingdom of priests. And the Lord knows each one of his kids by name. And check this out. Just like you love your kids, he delights in finding the treasure in you and loving you and spending time with you. So here's my real life end of, end of service question. What are you going to do to adjust, make adjustments in your life so that you prioritize Jesus? Isn't this what Paul said? There were things that used to be value, valuable to me. They're not anymore. I'm going to mess with some real idols right now. You know, Pastor, I'd love to come to marriage class, but, you know, Sunday afternoons are kind of busy. What, what, let me tell you what that translation is. I don't want to miss the football game for my marriage. There it is. Cat's out of the bag. Cat's out of the bag. How many of you know when you get saved, your value system shifts? And the things, now, I still love football. Last night I got home, I watched the last of the, watching that great upset, uh, Tennessee Titans, unbelievable. I love football. I really do. I love watching football. I love watching my kids play football. But let me just tell you something. If it comes between Jesus and football, I'm kicking the ball in the bleachers. I'm taking the air out of the ball. I'm no dummy. 
If it comes, how about this? If it comes between my marriage and a million other things, I'm no dummy. That's priority. Everything else is not important. That's priority. You learn to make choices. You can have 97 seasonings on your noodles <laughs> and blow chow. Or you can say, this is not smart. <laughs> I'm going to start putting some things away. You know what? Some people say, well, I have the liberty to drink. Yeah, you do. But what are you like when you drink? Well, I have the liberty to go out to the movies. Yeah, but what, are you, what do you do when you keep ingesting stuff that's full of nudity or sensuality? What is that doing? In other words, you can do whatever you want. But the question isn't about freedom. The question is about maturity. What are you doing to grow in your intimacy with God and to hear his voice? That's the question. And you know what? Each of us has to answer that question. Stand to your feet and we're going we're gonna to pray. Don't forget, we're going to ask the Lord for, for grace here and ask the Lord for his wisdom. Here's the question, though, or comment. Um, Tonight's important, 6 o'clock, if you guys can come. I'd love, love for you to be here. We're sharing a lot of great stuff, and uh, it's kind of a family gathering. So if, you're, if you consider Living Stones home, this is the, one of the times a year when we say, hey, family, y'all come out. If you're a leader in the house, please come out, because this, this is in lieu of our quarry meeting, all right? Marriage class at 4 o'clock today. Please come out, work on your marriage. Invest in your marriages this year so you get breakthrough. Um, last thing, sign up if you're coming to starting point at 4 o'clock so we can uh, make preparation for you, okay? If you're new here and you'd like to learn more about Living Stones, all right? Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing love for us. Thank you for sending Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to chase us down, to capture us when we were running a thousand miles in the opposite direction from you. And Lord, I just pray that you get us and, uh, and love us well and possess us well. And Lord, that you would awaken our hearts to, put, to love you back and to go after you this year. Lord, there's so many ways we can grow. So many ways we can grow. You know what we need best. So speak to us and lead us and guide us and show us those things we just need to consider garbage, put them away, get them out of our lives so that we can go after maturity, go after Jesus. Lord, help us to see the eternal things uh, clearer than we ever have before. Our lives are a vapor. We're here today. We're gone tomorrow. And then it's eternity, Lord. Help us to live in a way that maximizes all of that. You know, we're going to have our leadership team come up here right now across the front. And I just want to extend this invitation. Um, there may be people here, and if I ask you today, where's your relationship with Jesus? Do you have one? Do you know him? Have you submitted to him? Um, you might not be able to tell me yes, and if that's you, man, we want to pray with you. If, you, if you're like, I don't want to leave here without knowing where, where I stand. I want to know Christ. I want to have a relationship with him. We would love to pray with you, all right? So don't leave. There's a bunch of wonderful people up here that would love to connect with you and pray with you. If you need prayer for anything, all right, anything that's on your heart, that's why we're here. We love you. That's why we're here. We're here for you. So don't leave, all right? So Father, send us out from here. Let Help us to be great witnesses for you. And Lord, may we never miss your heartbeat, never miss your affection, never miss knowing what's on your mind and your heart. Help us to grow in Jesus' name. Amen.